today on Ag News Daily. Part of what their needs and wants were for the 2019 season was to do some large acre, what they call beta testing. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you from the sunny uh, skyscrapers of central Chicago, Illinois, just outside the loop. I am joined today by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, from whereabouts are you working today? I am working from Ankeny, Iowa, and it was sunny this morning, and it is not so sunny now. There we go. We've got some dry down weather. We're seeing that put some pressure on the grain markets as uh, we know some farmers are finally seeing some ground firm up enough to get their combines out in the field or pulled out of the field so they can get back to work. And, uh, you know, comes back to harvest, which, Delaney, that's the news I wanted to kick off right off the top of the podcast here. We had harvest progress reported yesterday and not surprising, still a very, very slow pace. Corn harvested as of November 3rd was at 52% across the country. That compares to the five-year average of 75%. So we're running about 25% below average on corn harvest. Beans, um, fairly similar situation. We're at 75% harvested, five-year average 87%. So we're 12% behind the average pace there. But we definitely have some states that are really, really struggling, particularly on the corn side. As we look at soybeans, um, even even North and South Dakota have uh, have had some pretty good luck. North Dakota is about 56% finished. South Dakota is 78% finished on soybeans. The slowest state um, on beans right now is, I believe, North Carolina at 45%. On the corn side, however, we've got the state of Missouri at 39% harvested. We've got the state of Kentucky at 31% harvested. We've got Iowa only at 42%. Oh, excuse me. I'm looking at corn. Good to excellent. My bad. Ah, that's why those numbers seem so weird. Here we go. This is going to make a little bit more sense to our listeners. Iowa corn is 43% harvested compared to 72% as our five-year average. So all across the board, harvest continues to run slowly, which I doubt is news to a lot of our listeners. Yeah, I don't think that's, I mean, we didn't see a reaction in the market today. So corn actually finished down. So what the heck's going on there is my question. Well, and, you know, it comes back to we knew the harvest was going to be going slow. That was kind of already priced in. It does appear that as we look ahead to the rest of this week, the forecasts are shaping up to be pretty favorable for uh, for combines. We've got some windy conditions. We've got some sunny conditions. We have less chance of moisture across most of the Corn Belt, particularly the Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, Indiana corridor. So the trade is anticipating that we're going to be able to get some more corn out of the field here in this next uh, five days. And that, I think, is what's putting pressure on the market right now. Well, we will wait and see, Mike. But another thing that's putting pressure on a different market, and that is the propane market, has been propane shortages that we've seen, especially in the Midwest. If you'll think back to the spring months, we saw the river close for quite some time, making inputs hard for farmers to get. Now at harvest time, we're seeing propane hard for farmers to get. You know, I've got to be honest with you, I don't pay attention to propane prices, but last week they were about at a, or last time, last year at this time, they were at about $1.30 per gallon, and now they're at about $1.18. So they're comparable in prices, but we've seen a lot of suppliers doing propane 
allocations. And one farmer that was interviewed in this story I'm reading on AgWeb said that his propane supplier called him and said, starting today, you're going to get a 40% allocation. And he said, you know, I'm just starting on corn harvest. Now we're getting hit with this reduced allocation. And the other thing is this propane, we have to see propane compete not only with agriculture, but we also have to see it compete with residential heating as we continue to see more cold weather come across the Midwest. So I hate to say it, but it sounds like propane shortages could kick a lot of fall field work. Not only that, in the delayed harvest season into the spring. I'm very afraid at this point that we're going to repeat a cycle of this year all over again. Yep, that is certainly the way it's shaping up. You know, it was interesting. There was a comment in that AgWeb article about the way that propane gets delivered. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. I just had never put it together. Propane suppliers are obligated to, first of all, make sure their residential customers' uh, needs are met, which that's positive. As a uh, LP user on the farm, I was always glad to have my tank full. Then, of course, uh, their next big concern is livestock building. And like you say, Delaney, when we get these cold snaps that come through across much of the upper Midwest, those livestock buildings burn a lot of propane. And then finally, dryers, grain dryers, are their third priority. So they are on the bottom of the list. And as wet as this harvest has been, Everybody is burning more propane than was anticipated. And so, yeah, I've heard from growers across northern Iowa and northeastern Iowa that not only are there allocations, but there are just empty terminals. They're just calling up their their growers and saying, hey, we're not going to deliver you. We don't have any propane. We've got no gas. We can't get it out to you. We'll call you when it's available. So it is very, very frustrating for growers to now have to watch this wet corn sit in the field even longer because, you know, they they can't have this wet corn just sitting in a bin for an indeterminate amount of time waiting for those propane trucks to arrive. So, yeah, it's one more piece of frustrating news for a lot of growers out there in the countryside. Unfortunately, that is the case at this point, Mike. It is, and it definitely feeds into my next story, the frustration that a lot of folks are feeling in production agriculture is expected to change the makeup of CRP acreage. The USDA said earlier today they expect to see record sign-up for the CRP sign-up. They are not sure, uh, let me see here, they expect to see the CRP program to see the largest numbers in at least a decade due to the slow farm economy. Um, They're not sure exactly, you know, what all of the details are going to work out to, but the general sign-up for CRP begins in December. This will be the first in four years, and they expect to see a lot of landowners say, you know what, we're tired of the hassle, we're going to put it into CRP and just cash that check, which, you know, I think a lot of listeners on the podcast know my feeling on CRP. I think that ground is much better off in pasture than it is in just a set-aside program, but it is what it is, and, you know, if you own the land, you got to do what you got to do to get paid and stay solvent, so CRP is expected to see some record sign-ups this next year. I wonder, too, we know that they're changing the cap to 27 million acres, but I I don't know what the process is. If you hit that 27 million, how they decide then who gets to do CRP and who doesn't. My understanding, and uh, listeners, consult your FSA office before you take any of my words as gospel, obviously, but um, it's first come, first serve. It's get your bid in, and if you are accepted before they hit that cap, then you're good to go. If you miss it, then you miss it and you're out, and uh, you've got to wait till the next general sign-up period. Ah, okay. 
First so that opens through. up in December. Call your FSA office right now if CRP is something you're considering and uh, start putting your plan together. All right. Did you did you mention when in December, Mike, or just December? Um, it, yeah, that, 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 I believe the article just said it begins in December. I don't know the exact date. So that's why okay. I'm saying call your FSA yeah. office. They will have all of the information. Okay. That sounds good. Well, Mike, I was reading through a new study today put together, a new forecast, I should say, put together by Rabo AgriFinance, a 10-year forecast looking at the agricultural industry, considering where we're at today, taking into effect African swine fever, ethanol policy, the trade war, all of that stuff. And according to their analysis, there is a 75% probability that soybean prices stay under 960 a bushel because of sluggish exports to China because of the trade war and also the impacts, lasting impacts of African swine fever. Corn prices and wheat prices, however, will be held down by the combination of oversupply, flat domestic use, and little growth in exports, as well as increased global competition. They said by 2026, they are projecting animal feed to overtake ethanol as a demand driver for corn if there are no changes to the U.S. biofuel policy. Again, I don't, so going back to that 75% probability of soybean prices, I'm not sure how they calculate that 75% probability, but I just thought that that was interesting that they're putting together these forecasts so early, and I know the USDA does it as well, but yeah. I, I guess from their um, forecast they are not forecasting agriculture to look very pretty, in my opinion. No, they're not. And, you know, it comes back to that huge, um, the bull in the china shop in particularly soybean demand is that African swine fever. If that continues to spread, if we can't develop a vaccine or a cure, that is going to have tremendous effect on, uh, on soybean demand for a very, very long time. And, uh Boy, I tell you, it's, it's not a very pretty picture, that's for sure. No, it's not, unfortunately, at this time. Well, as we have reported on this podcast, and of course everybody else uh, has reported as well, we, knock on wood, everybody, have not seen African swine fever here in the Western Hemisphere. That means we have a ton of pork that needs a home. And we are seeing more uh, suppliers, as Delaney, you mentioned earlier this week. We're seeing uh, Tyson and some of the other major integrators move away from using ractopamine in their feed rations so they can get their pork to China. But one country already doesn't use ractopamine. They're in the Western Hemisphere, and they have been establishing great ties with China over the past year. And they just inked a deal to send over 400 tons of pork innards. Delaney, do you know which country I am referring to? Um, Argentina? You're close. It's Brazil. Uh, Sierra Alimentos, a company which is a part of JBS, has uh, concluded their first negotiation for the sale of pork innards to China. Uh, this comes after China has authorized seven different Brazilian units to export this type of product. This is the first time they've really had approval to export pork innards into China. And so this is the very first one to go. It's 400 tons, and they say it is going to be shipped very, very shortly from Santa Catarina, which is uh, the home state of where this company is, off, is, uh, is based out of. JBS didn't say the value of the cargo, nor did they say exactly how many more of these uh, cargos they expect to ship. But um, it is interesting. 
we are seeing that uh, Brazil is receiving a special boost of shipments to China since the outbreak of the trade, uh, or excuse me, well, the trade war, obviously, but more importantly, African swine fever. Hmm. Yes, hmm, indeed, Delaney Howe. You hate to see another country take advantage of, I guess, market share that we could have. Well, and, you know, it comes back to the fact that, uh, you know, we've had this discussion a lot in the office. There's a question as to how much of this market share the U.S. would have been able to grab even without the trade war, given the fact that 80 percent of our pork has, up to this point, been fed ractopamine or paline, which is banned in China. So even though we have a ton of pork in our freezer that I'm sure the Chinese would love to eat, the Chinese rules and regulations forbid them from importing it. So I think that's a big part of why they're looking to Brazil right now. But as our producers move away from it, I think we're going to start picking up a lot more of this market share because at the end of the day, we are tremendous producers of pork here in this country. That we are, Mike. However, as we look at China's continued trade relationships moving forward. I didn't even realize that this was on the radar, but China is working to put together a huge trade pact with 16 different nations, and they're looking to have it signed by next year, according to a joint statement released. This new trade pact is called RCEP for short. It is the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership comprised of China, the Philippines, Japan, Australia, South Korea, New Zealand, Brunei, Burma, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, Thailand, and India. And I thought that that is a that is a lot of countries that we would like to trade with and or compete with a little stronger. And it looks like China really is looking ahead to the future. I mean, I think this really just solidifies it that this trade war thing Although they say it's going to be a phase one, phase two, phase three, etc., I think that the writing is clearly on the wall with this trade pact. Right. And, you know, I think this comes back to, I think China was a little hurt to be left out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Mm -hmm. So now they're trying to create one of their own. I would say that you are absolutely correct. So we will see how that goes. But, you know, it took, you know, how many years to get TPP through. I can't imagine this one is going to move much faster given the number and the variety of countries involved in it. So I don't think we have too much to worry about, like, immediately. Well, no, but they said by next year they'd like to have it signed. So I know we never really follow through on those timelines, but uh, just something to be well, aware of. By ne next year, Delaney Howell, I'd like to have a helicopter. Oh, would you? That's nice. I would love to get a helicopter by next year. Oh. A helicopter or, you know, some sort of jet pants. <laughs> jet pants. But I don't think those are I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, jet pants. Pants that will fly me around, like with jet engines in them. Jet pants. I don't, obviously. I don't think that's a real thing. It's not yet, but nor is this trade <laughs> pact amongst all these Asian nations. So that's what I'm saying. Uh... We can we can uh, Wish in one hand and poop in the other, Delaney, and see which fills up first. <laughs> I always liked that saying. Yes, well, of course, today is Tech Tuesday, and it is sponsored by our partners over at HTS Ag. To share a little bit more about HTS Ag and some of the projects they're working on, I've got Adam Gittens, who is the general manager. And Adam, this year was quite the unusual planting year. We had a lot of inclement weather. Now we're looking at the crops, and they're looking very varied. How does HTS Ag help with some of those problems that producers have been facing this year? 
Delaney, one of the tools in our toolbox is an active hydraulic downforce system. Now what this can do in a challenging year is help overcome some of those challenges, whether it be uh, compacted soils, wet soils, whatever the challenge may be, being able to measure and adjust to place the correct amount of downforce on each row at the given time throughout the field, whether you're going from tilled ground to no-till ground, whether you're going from different soil types, whatever that challenge may be, we can take 200 readings per second and adjust that on the go to always maintain the right depth and not over apply downforce causing excessive compaction. This has been proven year after year to give a more even stand and give the crop a much better start. Well, producers certainly are facing inclement weather and have been and conti will continue to face that. Folks, for more information about the hydraulic downforce and how you can use it in your operation, head to www.htsag.com. It's such a classic. Oh, boy, I tell you what, should we jump in and see what the markets have going on for us today? Let's do it. All right. We've got uh, a little bit lower trade in corn and soybeans. Wheat found some strength in the corn market. The December contract was down one and a half at 381 and three quarters. The March down one and three quarters to close at 391 and three quarters. In soybeans, November down four cents at 921 and three quarters. January down three and three quarters to close the day at 934 and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, December contract up five and a half cents, closed at 515 and a quarter. The March up four cents, finished at 520 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in Live cattle with the December contract down 62.5 cents at 119.45. February up 7.5 cents, closed the day at 124.67.50. Weakness in feeder cattle. November down $1.22.50 at 147.85. The January down 22.5 cents to close at 145.77 and a half. The big gainer today was the lean hog markets. The December contract was up $2.75 to close at 67.27.50. Closed Above their recent range might be room for the bulls to move to the upside even farther tomorrow. The February contract up $1.85, closed at $73.75. Jumping over to look at the dairy market, we've got green on the screen in Class 3 milk. November contract up $0.09 cents on the day at twenty twenty eight. The December contract up $0.04, cents, finished the day at nineteen seventy four. With that, we're going to kick it over to our Tech Tuesday segment, where we talk about how we are actually seeing growers put autonomous tractors to use in the field. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday conversation, we're ch chatting with Charlie Troxel, who's a farmer in central Ohio, using some of the technology that we've talked about on the podcast before, and that is Smart Ag's driverless grain cart. Charlie, first of all, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Charlie, before we get to the technology that you're using on your operation, tell us a little bit about your operation there in central Ohio and how your harvest season is going. Yeah, Delaney, we are uh, traditionally a, a corn and soybean uh, operation, have about 16 to 1,700 acres. Um, there is I would say three of us uh, involved in the family farm operation, my dad and a brother, and uh, we all uh, have, I will say, off-farm uh, jobs. My dad is a seed 
salesman. My brother works uh, with welding and fabricating um, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I work with a precision ag company based out of uh, western Ohio. Um, but as far as the farm is made up, we are traditionally just a corn, soybean, uh, cash crop operation. And so let's talk a little bit about Smart Ag's driverless grain cart. What was it that first piqued your interest in uh, bringing this technology to bear on your operation? Well, this this fall during the Ohio Farm Science Review, part of my uh, precision ag role, um, we had the opportunity to bring smart ag on as a deal uh, become a dealer for smart ag and part of what their needs and wants were for the 2019 season was to do some large acre what they call beta testing um you know the system uh as a concept just needed to be proven i guess some bugs worked out of the system in a uh, a real harvest scenario so that was part of the um, um, arrangement that we made with the smart ag rep working in Ohio here with Tim Norris that we were close enough in uh, geography to Tim um, and their uh, service technician that we could you know have a large enough field I guess that we could we could see this thing in action we could implement it and uh, ultimately help refine the the system to bring it to commercial market hopefully as soon as maybe next year yeah and that's really soon i think a lot of producers are eager to hear how that's going to go and and probably how your results and other farmers results went tim i want to ask first about the implementation of getting the smart ag technology hooked up into your system did you have to change a lot of things or was it a pretty simple cut and dry process for, for the most part, the the installation was, uh, I will say, fairly cut and dry. Of course, with the uh, autonomous system being somewhat new in concept, it uh, there were some specific tractor makes and models that that uh, we fell within. And uh, right now, or for this season, it had to be a John Deere 8R series tractor, new enough that had the I guess the correct hydraulic steering valve on it um, had the, uh, I guess, more current CAN communication network on the tractor. Um, and the physical hardware and components was ultimately pretty cut and dry. There was no uh, special modifying or um, uh, the idea is if you have to take this tractor back to its stock form, there was nothing that was altered that uh, would ever hinder that to go back. So it was a, it took a little while, uh, a little bit of time and effort. It's a fairly complex system, as you can imagine, and uh, but it's basically in in the precision ag world that that I play in. It's it's just. Very similar to other installs, a lot of harnessing um, modules. And uh, once it was installed, you really, from a big scheme of things, you really had to look pretty hard to see that there was something changed about that tractor. So it was it was clean. Um, 
and and like I said, the the install was not a was not a uh, a, a hard task, I guess. Well, let's get down to how it worked. How was it? I mean, what what were your feelings the very first time you saw that tractor running itself, coming up beside the combine, and then taking off and heading off towards the uh, the dump site? Well, I'll I'll tell you the uh, as we when we first started to implement it, we were we were harvesting soybeans and soybeans in the big scheme of things is kind of one of those harvest chores that uh, you don't need a lot of extra people around in order to efficiently, I guess, harvest soybeans. Um, and between myself and, and the other family members, we, as we played with it, actually implemented, it, I guess, or uh, controlled it for the first time, you could our impression was this has we're on the tip of the iceberg of what this of what these capabilities can do for us and um i've been asked quite a few times you know what size operation does it fit in the big scheme of things and and really i don't think an acre size of a farm will ever come into play um for making a decision to use uh, autonomy on the farm it basically you know we are essentially shorthanded most of the most of the fall harvest season you know that's usually when most farms of any size need that extra manpower uh, to run a grain cart to run a semi um and we fall into that category and it's hard for us to justify keeping somebody around full time year round and keeping them busy just to have them sit in a grain cart. Soybeans are one of those things we normally do not run a grain cart, I'll say on the go, through soybean harvest because we just don't have somebody there. Um, and being able this year to keep the combine moving constantly, um, it, sped, it sped harvest up uh, tremendously um, to the fact where we are finished. Um, with about 1800 acres this year and we feel pretty good about it and i think autonomy had a lot to do with that keeping keeping our combine moving well that was the thing too i was going to ask i mean is this a normal time of year for you guys to be done with i mean i know this year is not normal so maybe it's not easy to compare it's not an apple to apples comparison here but did you feel like this technology rapidly increased your harvest season? And when you look at maybe where your neighbors are at, are they still in the fields as well? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we we were kind of preparing ourselves for maybe a late or delayed harvest due to the the late spring, the delayed spring that we and everybody had. Um, but then the water shut off midsummer, and you know, good or bad, uh, that brought the crop around, I, I will say maybe a tick early or just maybe on schedule, you know, towards the end of September, early October is when we really kind of started diving in uh, to the crop when it was fit and we never stopped. We never had any major rain delay, which normally, um, 
in the fall, if we start to catch that half inch to an inch type of rain, that puts us out for a few days to where we can kind of recoup and recover, and we just didn't get that this year. And after about six solid weeks of, of harvest, I would say with the use of the uh, autonomous grain cart, um, we finished way ahead of schedule. Even in a, if, if there is such a thing as a normal harvest, I, I don't know the last time we have finished this early with the amount of acres that we were covering. So I, you know, I think we collectively here at the farm think that the driverless grain cart piece had, had a big impact on that. Cause yes, we still have, there are still neighbors uh, of ours that are still, still have some amount of crop out in the field. And, uh, I guess we're sitting here today on a dreary, rainy November 5th, and we feel like we're sitting in a pretty good spot. Now, one of the things that I've heard from growers when we're talking about autonomy is you're taking a rig for, that costs several hundred thousand dollars, you know, between the 8R and the grain cart, and you're turning it over to the control of something that, uh, you know, there, there's nobody in the driver's seat to get mad at if there is a mistake. Mentally, what's it like to 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 make that adjustment, to say, you know, okay, I'm going to trust the technology here, and we're just going to let it fly. Was there a big adjustment in uh, in kind of your thought process to put this system into place and to, to trust it to do its thing? No, no. I mean, I, you know, we've adopted a lot of technologies on our farm, so have a lot of other farmers across uh, the country. You know, technology um, – is is here you know it's it's not a uh, it's it's not a technology is is current you know everybody is using some form of technology they've adopted to a certain level on our you know from the autonomous grain cart side of things you know when you look at i'll say uh, and I'll make an assumption. Let's say most family farms, the combine operators may be one of the decision makers on that farm. And in our case, um, with the three of us, you know, all making various levels of management decisions, when we are in the combine, and that is where you control and command this autonomous grain cart, it was actually an easier I felt that it was easier for us to have personal control of that grain cart versus saying trying to find a part-time person that maybe has very limited experience in that very expensive piece of of equipment, the tractor and the grain cart. You know, if you have the, if you have the, uh, I guess the owner or, or the main operator controlling that system, I think it, you don't have anybody to blame but yourself as far as it's, uh, you know, flaws or it's, uh, you know, maybe not lining everything up perfectly. And that's a lot easier of a pill to swallow than trying to, you know, in the past, try to keep, uh, uh, try to keep the emotions out of it. If there's a, if there's a new person in that grain card that maybe makes a mistake, you've, you've essentially eliminated maybe one problem, um, by not having that person there. Absolutely. Emotions definitely run high during fall and springtime. Charlie, I've got just one final question for you. 
you look at this technology that you implemented this year, what would, I guess as you were thinking through Harvest this year, as you were doing Harvest this year, this year, what's one other thing or other tools that you see as a huge potential for agriculture to just make your job easier? Well, I think if, uh, I think in the real grand scheme of things, just autonomy in general, um, you know, whether it be the grain cart operation, I mean, that is, that is a piece of, of this whole autonomy talk. You know, the, the the questions that we've been asked is you know when can it do tillage or when can it do planting and from uh, the team at SmartAg you know that's that's not that far down the pipeline and I would venture to say that pieces and parts of it are already here and in some level um, you know from uh, I think the automation piece from the standpoint of labor force and stuff, it's going to be a game changer. You know, we, we felt fortunate that we were kind of on the, the front end of it, uh, becoming, um, coming on board with smart ag as a dealer for them, you know, just to get a, you know, we got a sneak peek of it this fall, um, helped work some of the, the bugs and the usability out of it moving forward. I think they will refine, uh, you know, some things we saw we'd like to see changed, but, you know, they get the grain cart piece solved, you know, that's that's just phase one. And I think everything else that I would assume coming down the pipeline, it will it will change any size of operation um, moving forward. And I think that's a big thing, and we're excited about it. Charlie, I was just going to say we certainly appreciate your insight today and sharing with us about using SmartAx technology on your operation. Well, I thank you for having me. Like I said, it's um I, I know the team at SmartAg with with their most recent uh announcements and stuff, the the industry has is on board with this and I like I said, I think the autonomous grain card is just the start of <clears throat> things to come and uh I I say we're looking forward to what's coming down the pipeline. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, it is very exciting to see this next wave of agricultural autonomy literally at work in the field. Yeah, it's really neat, really exciting time, and I think that's the way that agriculture is moving is towards autonomy. It is, and as somebody who loves to drive a grain cart, I'm kind of sad. No, oh, because you're no longer needed. Right, right. <laughs> yes, it's the story of my life. <laughs> well, we need you here. How about that? I'll take it. Listeners, if you want to get caught up on my random thoughts and Delaney's actual insight, you can catch up on all of our past episodes by visiting our website at agnewsdaily.com. Check out all the other podcasts that are part of the Global Ag Network. While you're there, it will definitely be worth your while. While you are, hopefully, fingers crossed, sitting in the combine cab this week, getting a good crop out of the fields. And while you're in the combine, while you're in the grain cart, while you're in the semi, hopefully not on the highway, tweet at us. Facebook us. Find us on Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we will be there. With that, Delaney Howell, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.